But it's one thing I love more than getting my pitch over the plate. And that is getting over this plate in Casa Ole. It's like a fiesta in Casa Ole. Casa Ole, fresh today, every day. You get a free child's play, we use ticket stuff from any Astros game. Casa Ole, fresh today, every day. Casa Ole, Ole! It is a bonus <coughs> Christmas edition of Lima Time Time. Uh, I didn't think we could we could out outdo our, our last episode where we had Lance McCullers on. Uh, but I'm, I'm very happy to say that, that yes, we absolutely can. Uh, we have a return guest to the show. Uh, it's my friend Joe's, uh, 11 year old son, Sammy. Uh, Sammy has been on and, and knows more about baseball than, than half of you fools that are listening. Maybe, maybe three quarters to 90% of you fools that are listening. So <clears throat> let's, uh, as we get into Chris, everyone's on Christmas break. We're all excited. Sammy, how you doing? I'm um, pretty good. How are you? Awesome. I'm awesome. I'm, I don't really have to be anywhere for a few days, so that's that's great. I freaking love yeah, it. Yes, it's good. Okay, so so you are. First of all, we need to we need to we need to clear the air. Uh, I do not hold you personally responsible for your Red Sox uh, beating my Astros in the ALCS. Although I cannot say the same for Joe West or Andrew Benintendi. Um, how does so, so you're you're twelve. Do you, so you were what? You were what? Five when? No, no, no. When did you? How old were you in the? When did the, the Red Sox won it in eleven? Do you remember that? No, they won it in uh, 13. thirteen. I do remember it. I was seven years old. Seven years old. So, so how do how does it compare? Because they've won a few since you've been alive, but but it, like I don't. I, I was like six months old when the Astros, you know, were in the in the playoffs in 1980. So I, I obviously I can't count that as an experience, but how does the, how does this world series compare to the last one? Uh, well, I like, to be honest, this one is a whole lot better for me personally, because I got to see the team like throughout the whole year. Cause when I was seven earlier that year, maybe in like June, I was just starting to get into baseball. So I didn't even know the whole team and stuff and now uh in 2018 uh, i got to know that like i knew about the team and i knew more about mlb and how baseball works and it was a lot more interesting okay <clears throat> so let me let me ask you and I've, I've said this before uh you and i have not talked about it but i but i feel like this year like everything that went the astros way in the 2017 playoffs, went the Red Sox way in 2018. Is that a fair? Is that a fair assessment? Uh well, something like that. I mean, to be honest, uh, the Astros had an amazing regular season. They were very do- They were very dominant, and uh, then and they crushed Cleveland in the ALDS. Yep. And then in the CS, they had a, a lot of trouble with the Red Sox. And I think it's, yeah, you could make that comparison. Everything uh, that went the Astros way in 17 went the Red Sox way in 18. Because, I mean, the Red Sox have Mookie Betts, who had a huge year but had an off in 2018, but had an off year in 2017. Yep. Same kind of thing with Altuve. He had a huge year in 17. A bit of an off year in eighteen, still a tremendous season, but not as uh, dominant as he was 
in 17. Yeah, and I mean, you think about like Alex Bregman uh, almost hit a walk-off. Or it wouldn't have been a walk-off. It almost hit a home run in the ninth inning in uh, at Fenway Park and just missed it. Um, he flies out to Benintendi to end, what was that, game four? Uh, uh, that would have so. scored some runs. And then the Joe West Altuve call. Uh, in in game five like it just I mean and I'm not I'm not saying this to say like oh the Astros were robbed but it's just like the some you just have to catch those breaks and the Red Sox caught them so congratulations well uh, yeah all right so so what's what's happening this offseason like is this does it feel slow does it feel like it's kind of is does it feel uh, what's your feel for how this offseason is shaking out so far well, uh, so far this off season's actually going pretty quick. There are a lot of, I mean, Harper and Machado and Kimbrell, kind of maybe the three biggest guys haven't really signed yet. But uh, other than that, you're seeing a lot of like two-year deals, three-year deals. I mean, you have Corbin for six years and Eovaldi for four years. But it's mostly been like two-year deals for guys who are like maybe – veterans who are like were really good and now are kind of like just solid players a lot of solid players are being signed for like two three-year deals charlie morton two-year deal with tampa bay michael brantley two-year deal with houston Uh, you're right you're right i don't think you're seeing the teams willing to pony up seven eight years to a guy in his in his mid-30s like they did maybe 15 years ago yeah exactly okay so you mentioned harper machado and kimbrell where do you think those three guys end up? Uh, for me, I think Harper, uh, a good candidate for Harper would be the Phillies. Uh, for Machado, I think the Yankees are a good fit. I mean, we have to see what's up with Gregorius, like when in 2019 or no, 2019 or 2020, which year will he come back and like how's he doing but <clears throat> if uh he's kind of progressing slowly I know the Yankees really want to win and I think Machado would really help them I think Kimbrel's pretty interesting because at first when I was like thinking about where Kimbrel might go I had the Red Sox on that list but I don't think it's gonna happen I also uh, had the Cardinals, but they signed Andrew Miller to a two-year deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Now I think he's actually going to come back to Atlanta. Ooh. I think he's like from that area, and he's like, I just think that they need a closer. They need a really solid closer, and I think he might be a good candidate. So <clears throat> do you think that... Because Joe Smith, who was a somewhat effective reliever for the Astros uh, last year, do you? He he just ruptured his Achilles, I guess, over Thanksgiving. Had surgery last week. He's out till June or July. Do you see a scenario where the Astros could swoop in and pick up Kimbrel? Um, you know, I really could see a scenario, but uh, I could see a scenario like that. But they do have Roberto Osuna. Yeah, I think. Yeah. They have him for a while, and they have. Uh, do they still have Rondon? They do have Rondon. They have Ryan Presley. They uh, have uh, yeah. Davinsky. They right? have Davinsky, who was hurt last year. Uh, but uh, 
So Will, is Will Harris back with them, or is he a free agent? He's he's Will Harris is back. So they got a pretty decent bullpen as it stands, but uh, <clears throat> they might be willing to spend a little more money to get a guy who will probably be very solid for them. Now, do you feel like? Like it's it would if the Astros did sign Kimbrel, it would be sort of a double win that one you get Kimbrel, but two like you, the Red Sox don't then have Kimbrel back. Like is that do you think teams work like that, or is that part of the negotiations? Or is that part of front office thinking? Like how do you feel about that? Well, I think it's always uh, it's always going to be something like oh well they we got this guy and this guy came from another team so that other team isn't gonna have that guy that guy anymore but I think it it probably would be it's definitely it would be a win for the Astros for sure but for I think the Red Sox really uh might want to start cutting their payroll a little more because they're over they're one of two teams that are over the tax threshold and they really I think might want to get a more a guy like a budget reliever, you know, a guy who's going to be solid but isn't like your superstar guy who's like really like you'll get him for six years, like a hundred million dollars, you know? Like, yeah. <clears throat> do you feel, I mean, do you feel bad for, of course, my dogs are going to fight like right next to the computer. Come on, chill out. Um, do you feel like the luxury tax is just, and this is, I, this was not on the sort of the preliminary list that I, I kind of gave you a heads up about. So I'm feel free to say like, no, I'm not going to answer that. Um, do you feel like ownership created the luxury tax to help them save money? Cause I mean, no one's losing money. That's owning a baseball team. Like otherwise baseball teams would get sold way more often than they actually do. So it feels to me like the luxury tax is a, is an owner construct to help them maximize their profits. Like, I mean, do you, so like if a, a team like the Red Sox is over the luxury tax and they have to pay however many millions of dollars, you know, in, in that luxury tax, how much did they make it all back with 2018 world series champs gear? Like I, I just, how do you feel about ownership and payroll? Cause it feels like every decision that's been made regarding where owners are involved, it's about limiting the expenses that they have to put out. Is that do you think that's accurate? I think it's pretty accurate and I also think it does help the uh, owners and the general managers and uh, baseball operations guys uh, just to stay on track like all right this is how much we're spending we're spending no more than this every year and like but I don't know if the owners exactly put it in place i think it's because i mean teams like tampa bay and oakland don't can't and there are other teams but they can't really spend as much as uh some teams like the dodgers yankees or the red sox and i think the luxury tax kind of uh i mean if you have like a lot of guys who are if you're over the luxury tax you have to give a certain amount of money to uh, Major League Baseball, and they give it to uh, they distribute it um, among teams who are like probably don't have enough to reach that point. And, and I think I think there's part of that that's 
that's 100% valid, but I mean, if the, if the Rays were losing money, then their ownership would have sold it a, a long time ago. And the, the same thing with Oakland and the same thing with Pittsburgh. Like there's so much TV money flowing that, I mean, I can, I can get on board with, look, if you're averaging 14,000 fans a game and everybody else is averaging 35 to 40, like you're missing out on a lot of revenue. So you've got to, you've got to make cuts somewhere else. And to an extent, I think that's what Tampa Bay and and Oakland do, but there's just so much TV money, uh, the and and the MLB advanced media that part of me just and maybe this is because I'm like anti, I don't know, anti corporate, but there there's so much there's so much money available. It seems like teams should be willing to spend you know a, a lot more than they actually do, and and maybe that's just me because I'm I don't like the idea that minor leaguers have to eat like two peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and then go to Chipotle and live with like seven other guys in a one bedroom apartment. I don't know. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, the t- for like revenue and things like that, it's like if you're having like, if no one's showing up to your games, like the Rays are kind of like, like no one shows up, no offense to their fans but, like, they don't really have as many people showing up as, like, probably they want. And Oh, no, yeah. No, their field is their field is literally shag carpet. Like, I mean, who would want to go watch a game played on shag carpet? they got to get a better field. That's yes. a step. Absolutely. Okay, so uh, is the 2019 AL playoff field already set? Um... I think uh, the AL isn't exactly set, though there are some powerhouse teams like the Yankees, Astros, and Red Sox. I'm interested in what uh, Cleveland does, and uh, because if they trade a Kluber or a Bauer or maybe both or other players, uh, it might hurt them, and you might have like a surprise team swoop in and like win the. AL Central, but I think the Astros, the Yankees, and the Red Sox are probably the are most definitely the three best teams. Uh, I want. I'm interested in Cleveland to see what they do in the off season. They'll probably determine how they do in the regular season. I mean, well, definitely. Also, Oakland and uh, Tampa Bay are two small market teams. Who I actually, I really, I'd like to see them do pretty well because, you know, they don't have the money to spend. And they're actually, the Rays won 90 games, the uh, the A's won 94. So they'll be pretty interesting as well. You know, I, I, that's that's a really good point because I was looking at this yesterday. For, I don't know what I was looking for exactly, but I was on Baseball Reference. And, and I knew that the Rays had a good season. But I didn't realize they won 90 games. If they'd played in the – and they won 90 games in the AL East. Like, that, that's that's impressive. And, yeah, Baltimore was was basically a triple-A team. But, yeah. but I mean, if, if – Cleveland only won the AL Central with, with 91 games. And so do you think that – I mean, it, it sucks for Tampa Bay that, you know, they, they could very easily have won 92 games – uh, won more games than the division winner, and the the AL Central is is a disaster, and and totally missed the playoffs just because of of where they are. Would would you be in favor of just like the top the five top records 
at the end of the year get the five your four and five teams play each other uh and your division winners you know they get the customary you know whatever but i mean if if you if you had a situation where where Tampa Bay wins 92 games and misses the playoffs and Cleveland wins 91 games but just happened to win their division the the team with the more wins doesn't doesn't make the playoffs would you be in favor of changing that um I'm not sure exactly because I mean it's always been like this and that's not always a fair response because things change we have like replay review and like you eventually we are probably going to see automated strike zones but I do think that it, it it's definitely an interesting point eventually there's going to probably be more people talking about this subject and like, hey, you know what, it's really not fair. This team won a certain amount of games and they didn't even make it because they're in a tough division while this team made it and they're in just an absolute crap division. There's going to be talk about it and it might, eventually it might, they might make it so they're the, these top five teams move on, but I don't see it happening in the next like five years. Yeah. <clears throat> so you I mean, and and sort of to that point, you mentioned that the Indians have the have have at least discussed somewhat publicly mentioning Kluber and or uh, Bauer. Why would they do that? Is that a limit? Is that another revenue limitation? Like they don't get a ton of people at their games. Um, or do you think they're looking at, at their division and they're thinking, look, the White Sox are going to be good at some point. We can we, we don't necessarily need both Kluber and Bauer to win this terrible division. Uh, so so let's trade one of them and and maybe we can well, and not maybe like we'll get some really good prospects and that'll keep our window open a little bit wider. Like what's Cleveland doing even considering trading either of those guys? Um, I think you made a pretty good point because I think Cleveland might be trying to trade away some players who are free agents after 2019, like Kluber or Bauer. So they can still probably get some solid prospects for them so they can build in the future. And maybe you trade one of them and they're like, okay, we can win this division with maybe Kluber or maybe just Bauer and uh they can still be competitive in the future if they trade one and get a good haul of prospects. Because both Kluber and Bauer were phenomenal last year. They were very solid. I, per- and, <clears throat> I personally do not like Trevor Bauer, uh, but he's he is a good pitcher. Uh, yeah, I mean, not. I don't have a great opinion on Bauer either. <laughs> yeah, he's a he's a titty baby. That's that's pretty much that's pretty much it. I know. <laughs> uh, all right, so duh, that that wraps it up for me. Do you have any questions? You you want to say something to the to the Astros faithful out there? Uh well, I, I not exactly the Astros faithful, but I do want to. If you don't mind, we just talk about one other thing. Heck yeah, if that's okay. Heck yeah, let's do it. Uh. What is your take on automated strike zones? Um. Ooh, oh, that's a good one. Um, I think 
uh, it, it's sort of my issue with with replay. Okay, so so with the Joe West, uh, with the Joe West call on on Jose Altuve, I had my students write a paper. I was so mad that I had my 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 AP students write a paper about about the call and and sort of and I was pretty impressed that basically they were like, look, if Joe West had said that 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 Altuve ball was a home run and it went to replay, there would not have been enough evidence to overturn it. But since Joe West ruled that it was uh, that it was fan interference and it went to replay, there wasn't enough evidence to overturn it. So basically, the issue is not it's not necessarily with Joe West. It's not with uh, Mookie Betts. It's not with the the way the field's laid out. It's with replay. Like there should be a there should be a point where the umpire can be like, look, I don't know. Like let's just go to replay and and see and see what it says. So that's yeah. that's kind of how I feel like it it should be with an automated strike zone where not that not that every pitch is more important now but the way that technology has advanced you know it it sucks that some like 70-year-old like former country singer can impact a a game and a series in in such a way and you know I had I watched I basically only watched the Rays games when they were playing the Astros but how many games did the you know were the Rays and maybe it all just kind of evens out in the end, where you get some calls, you don't get some calls, and it's it's a wash out of you know in the, at the end of a hundred and sixty two game season. I just want the call to be consistent and be right, you know. And that's that's sort of as a someone who deals with students and and as a teacher, like I just you know I I tell them at the beginning of the year like I I may not I may not make every judgment call correctly. But I'm going to be consistent and I'm going to be fair. And I yeah. guess that's that's what I want. So if it means that – I mean if, it sucks to lose a game because an umpire can't figure out the strike zone one day. Or it sucks to lose a game because the there was a, a call sent to replay that shouldn't have been – that's not a reviewable play. Or you know the, the replay officials just get wrong. Like It feels like baseball is given the money that's involved like it's it's so important to just get the call right rather than rather than just say well that's how baseball is it's you know human error is a part of the game well pilot error is part of flying and nobody likes their plane to crash so you do whatever you can to make sure that that doesn't happen and that's a very that that those two things are not similar in any way shape or form but uh how do you feel Uh, For me, at first, I was thinking, you know what, automated strike zones, it's a smart idea. A lot of games are blown by bad umpiring. But then I realized, hang on a sec, if we have automated strike zones, that doesn't just get rid of the human element and all that stuff we always hear about, oh, give me the human element with, like, you know, the umpire behind home plate. It gets rid of pitch framing and pitch framing i mean all the times a catcher makes like a great frame on like a ball on the outside corner and you're like yeah that's a strike and you see the pitch tracks and you're like no that's not a strike but the catcher made a did a really good job and now there are more stats talking about pitch framing oh yeah let's sign this guy he's a really good pitch framer like jeff mathis for example great pitch framer not a good hitter and like a pretty solid catcher but they got him because he's a really good pitch framer and i just think automated strike zones would get 
rid of pitch framing. I think eventually we will see automated strike zones, but I think we need to realize that that just wipes out the whole pitch framing thing. Is pitch framing, and I'm, this is a total theoretical question, is pitch framing, I mean, if you're able to, to take a ball and turn it into a strike, is that wizardry at best and cheating at worst? Like, you're just, you, like you can get away with something that other catchers aren't as good at getting away with, but ultimately you're stealing, you're stealing a strike if you're a good pitch framer. Am I right? Exactly, but like, it's not just like, it's not just like luck. It's like an art. It's something like someone will work on. Well, you know, you're a good hitter and you're a decent catcher, but you really need to work on your pitch framing. So, like, you go and practice, like, framing different pitches. Like, that just gets rid of, like, pitch framing overall. And I don't just mean, like, framing pitches right off, right on the corner, but think about how many times you see, like, some – you see some pitcher, like the catcher calls fastball and the pitcher throws some curveball and the catcher catches it really weirdly and you're like, wow, what a bad pitch. And it's like, it's probably is a strike, but it's called a ball because the catcher and pitcher didn't, did a crappy job of, you know, of, re, of doing signs. So like, then you, like, you don't even need, like, you Guys can get crossed up all the time. Yeah, you you see it happen every now and then where where a, a pitch should be called a strike, but it's called a ball because the catcher just looked weird. Like he looked like he, and it's almost like if the catcher doesn't know, then that can't be a strike. And the umpire just sort of is like, oh, okay, well his glove was weird, so that's got to be a ball, and it's actually a strike. All right, there's well, more. To, there's more to pitch framing than I thought. Thanks to you. All right, now I got to go back and and think about this. That's a that was a good question. Thank you. You got any? You got any other ones? You got anything else up your sleeve? We'll do this again before the season starts. Uh, right now I don't really have anything. Uh, but I actually would just like to say to the Astros fans because they got a couple players. Uh, Michael Brantley, great hitter. He's really a very like just a really solid hitter, and I think they need a pure hitter. And uh. He's and the thing he not the best fielder because after his injury, not he can't he's not very fast anymore. But like he's still just a really solid hitter, and also uh, also Robinson Chirinos. He signed a one year deal with the Astros. He's oh yeah, a, I forgot about that. A, he did. He's yeah. a really good catcher. And he has some good power to go in the lineup. And last year, they didn't get the best production out of their catcher. McCann had a bit of an off year. So it'll be good to have some power at the catcher position. I think Brian McCann is going to go straight up go off for Atlanta this year. And and he mentioned when he signed, like he had, sur- he had knee surgery in like June or July of this yeah. past year, <clears throat> and and he said something, and it was an, art, a paper, an article in the Atlanta paper where he was like, I should have just had surgery like right after the World Series. I knew something was, was wrong, but I tried to just kind of rehab it and get through it. And I think, yeah. and, and he, he could not hit at all. And so, you know, I think you're, I think you're right. Like, I, I think that, you know, the Astros didn't get much from their catchers last year. Chirinos, you know, we'll just kind of see if, if, playing with a short left field helps him out a little bit more but yeah. but I do think McCann's going to rebound in a big way 
you know, his last kind of his last go around with it with his hometown team. Uh, I think I think and I wish nothing but the best for him. Uh, him and Charlie Morton, you know, the, the the they're a big part of Astros history, and and you know, God bless them, and I hope they do well from here on out. Yeah, and like McCann's supposed to be a really good dude as well, so wish the best for him in Atlanta. I hated him before he came to Houston. He, he was one of my top players that I absolutely hated. Is there's and and it turns out that like for no reason. Like maybe you're too young to feel pure hatred, uh, unlike the rest of us who have practiced it for many years. Is there a player that you just cannot stand that's irrational, that, that you know, like, I have no reason to hate this guy as much as I do, but but here we are. Is there anybody that, st- that sticks out for you like that? Um, to be honest, uh, well, there are guys I hate seeing up batting, but, like... That's different. That's respect. This is just but, pure, unadulterated, like, I can't... The very the the fact that this guy exists drives me insane. Uh, well, you know, I'd say there there is a reason. Jose Bautista, man, he really pissed me off. <laughs> he was with Toronto, always bat flipping, and like just like I don't really care if a guy bat flips, but just like looking out at the pitcher after like some rookie throws a ball inside <laughs> on him, like come on, like get over it, like. Just sit down and like shut up now, for a I'm, second. Honestly, I'm admittedly biased because I hate everything about the the Rangers organization. But that that bat flip in that in the 2015 ALDS, like that that bat flip was a work of art. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you can't bat flip after after hitting a home run like that at home, no, I, I no, yeah, it was like. Well, I would have bat flipped as well, of course, and like, but she, I it just oh, I, I was just cheer. I was cheering for Texas, oh. and because uh, I really didn't like the Blue Jays. Oh, that's and fair. It wasn't that I just don't like Bautista. It's mostly I just at the time like I wasn't a, like I just didn't like the Blue Jays. You know, like they were always just there. Like, how about them Jays? No, yeah, and you're so, you're a Boston fan, so so it's perfectly reasonable for you to to not want to see the the interdivision team win. But like, I I don't have a ton of athletic ability. Like, I if I got a ball, if if I popped up to like shallow center field, I would bat flip. Like I, that's just how unproductive I am with a bat. Like I I would I would straight up. Luis Valbuena, R.I.P. Like I would, I would pimp a walk. Like I would, I. But I, so I'd get hit by by pitches. Like all, I'd be on the DL just from concussions from getting hit by pitchers from bat flipping like a ground out to third just because I made contact. No, I'm not against bat flips. I'm just saying that it just really like that moment. Like it, it, it was a great flip, but like it just ticked me off. Like you know, I was watching a great player, but like. Just watching that, I was just like, "No, no!" <laughs> run like didn't happen, but then it did. Uh, Jose Bautista follows me on Twitter, so that's cool. Oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, he follows like three million people, so so maybe that's not as impressive as it sounds. <laughs> but all right, Sammy. Well, hey, thank you so much. Uh, we will absolutely check in before the season starts. Before you know, after all the free agents are signed. Uh, and things kind of settle down with spring training. We'll get your outlook on what the AL looks like 
Uh, as always, excellent analysis of, of baseball in general, the American League specifically. Congratulations for winning the World Series. Um, Thank you. And I want you to know that that, that ALCS loss will be avenged at, at some point in the not-too-distant future. Well, yeah. Yeah, let's see. Okay. <laughs> uh, Sammy, have a wonderful Christmas and, uh, and, and enjoy your break from school for the next few weeks. You too, you too. Hey, thanks. But it's one thing I love more than getting my pitch over the plate. And that is getting over this plate in Casa Ole. It's like a fiesta in Casa Ole. Casa Ole, fresh today, every day. You get a free child's play, we use ticket stuff from any Astros game. Casa Ole, fresh today.